1: Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. How is everyone doing? Let's just get right into it today because we are joined from 3,000 miles away in California by the one and only Mr. Jonathan Antic. How are you?
2: Hi, how are you? What's Hello, going on? Everyone? With
1: you? What are you up to?
2: I am <sighs> David. Yes. Yep, no idea. <laughs> I'm up to it's like well obviously we're in a you know it's it's sort of an unprecedented uncharted waters time of life kind of like you know a never seen before this is like you know a once in a lifetime thing with the covid you know it's crazy and obviously I'm crazy busy because I have a lot of heads that want their hair done, but we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to step foot in the salons. So anyway, obviously, you know, I have hundreds if not thousands of heads that want me to do their hair right now. And you know, like for hairstylists, it's, it's actually for some that are those, those of whom that are busy, they're all doing house calls and pocketing all that cash. So they're actually, you know, I would say there's, there's a good 30 per, 20 to 30% of hairstylists across the nation or maybe around the world. You know, I know California and the U.S. or New York, and, and they're busy. They're making money. But salon owners are in a very, very precarious, horrifying, terrifying position. You know, obviously, if you've been smart with your money and you've put away for the rainy day and you've saved and it's like what I've told all salon owners like you, you know, I've said it my whole life. I've been a salon owner for 30 years now and I've said to everybody, hey, man, listen, owning a salon isn't everything you think it is like you can go work in a hair salon for somebody else. You can make. As much, if not more money, if you're a book solid and cutter grinding it out, you can make, you know, 10 grand a day doing hair in a salon. You can, if you're like one of, you know, the maybe five percentile of hairstylists, you know, that charge a ton of money and that's a lot.
1: no i mean i get like everyone thinks being a business owner is all that but it's sometimes there's a lot of negatives
2: it's all it's the good listen i love owning salons i love having a a, a team that is you know i work with that works for me but i've always said like i'm more of a i'm more of a stylist owner than a client's owner you know, I really like to cater to the stylist because obviously I love to cater to the clientele, right? To the, to the customer, consumer, customer. But if you cater to the customer and you take from your artist, your, your stylist, you're going to have a happy customer and a miserable stylist and they won't stay. They'll leave. If you cater to the stylists, your artists, your crew, your staff, you will inevitably have a happy stylist and a happy client. And I've really created in all of my salons an environment that is really built around allowing the hair, my our hair, my hairstylist to make money and buy homes and better their lives, you know, and I've always said to people, listen, I mean, you know, people have seen it on TV, you know, like, and of course, a lot of that's editing, you know, but uh, you know, the, the, the asshole side of me, but the good guy side of me, which is more than not. I've always said to them, listen, suit up. Show up, shut the fuck up. You'll do really, really well, but you have to like show up and you gotta work hard. But like I'm creating an environment here for you that not a lot of salons do uh, or uh, or are doing or have, you know.
1: Right.
2: I have so many different things that I do for the stylist or with the stylist that like no other salons do because you make less money, but it's not about the money to me. It's about the money will come if the people are happy. You know, it's like if you build it, they will come. You know what I mean? The money comes if you have a happy stylists, and I've always had a happy stylist. So, but now here we are, salons are closed, can't go in them. So everybody wants us to do house calls. And you know, I, I have done a few, but I've been tested. I make, every one of my clients that I go to text me or email me that they've been tested. And that's the first sign, you know what I mean? So anyway, enough about all that. Yeah. The salon world is in, it's
1: insane. It's, How many people do you have in your salon now?
2: Oh, in this salon now? Yeah. My new salon it's on Brighton way in Beverly Hills, the Jonathan Anton salon. Uh, it's salon number six. Uh, And they've all done well, but I've kind of like, you know, uh, my first one I was in for 23 years, you know, um, in West Hollywood. And then I built the Blowout Salon. And then I sold both of those and had kids. And, you know, without telling you my whole life story,
1: I'm sure you, I mean, maybe you won't ask, but. uh, I have some questions about the early days.
2: So this salon I have like, uh, I don't even know, I think we have like 20-ish people in it, you know, a few more because we have some, you know, uh, we have some bi-coastal, we have some uh, UK people, so yeah, I
1: mean, I don't know,
2: probably closer to 30 altogether, you know?
1: That's Uh, good. It is good. Well, okay, so starting at the beginning, Yeah. yeah, like knock on wood. I mean, I, I know you're from California originally, and you went to Beverly Hills High School. So anyone that you went to high school with that is now someone that we know, just because you know Beverly Hills High School, that's the stereotype that comes to mind. Like, was, who was in your high school or whose children?
2: Well, Schwimmer was at Beverly when I was there. Um, we were never really friends. I knew of him. David, i became friends with david later obviously through the world of hair um uh mr cage nick nick was there uh nicholas cage nick my morning i told you know as i was saying like it was insane i get this text like jonathan please can you get on this call it's you know it's the coalition and i've been i've been speaking with them it's this group of like hundreds of salon owners and this one call was like 25 or 30 of them and they were getting on the phone with these lawyers that are trying to help us go to the governor and you know uh with a petition and fight this because there are those of us that have extremely sanitary sterilized salons that are cleaner than and safer than us doing house calls you know right uh, like my salon I wish you we were at my salon right now like it is it's like cleaner than a hospital it's so pure and clean and the air system is amazing it's so like airy and the ceilings are 26 feet and it's insane you know it's you couldn't get sick in my salon if you, like, shot it into your arm. You know what I mean? If you walked into a wall of COVID, it probably you wouldn't be affected. Anyway, so, uh, yeah. So they called me and begged me, and I said, yeah, I can do it, but I have a really important phone call. I remember I mentioned to you the other day I was waiting for a car. Um, oh, Yeah. I got the car. A Porsche,
1: it. right? Uh, yeah, a
2: Porsche. It's uh, it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, an old Porsche, but it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's not a, you know, a quarter of a million dollar Porsche by any stretch of the means. It's, it's an older car. The place I bought it from, Holt Motorsports. I will give them a, a, a plug. A shout out. Shout out Tim at Holt Motorsports, Tim Holt, and his son, Tim Jr. They have the best, I'm a Porsche enthusiast. This is like my fifth or sixth, fifth, sixth. I think it's my sixth, my sixth Porsche. Um, and I haven't had one in like a dozen years, but my birthday's coming up and it was cheap. I'm not going to say how much it was, but it wasn't like, wasn't even a $50,000 car. And I just gave up my Tesla. Right, I was driving a Tesla for the last four years, and gave up the or the lease ended, and it was time for me to get a car. And I wanted to get, I wanted to drive like an analog, real car. You know what I mean?
1: Did so, you always know you wanted to do hair? Like when you were growing, like when you were in Beverly Hills High in high school? Was it always hair?
2: What? No, no, no. I I studied. I was I was supposed to be an actor. Um, I was supposed to be an actor. I was studying acting. Growing up, truthfully, as a child, I thought I was going to be an, a pro ice hockey player. I played ice hockey as a kid, or I was going to be a boxer. That's what I. That's what I really wanted to do as a child. Ice hockey or boxing. I know. And uh, my father boxed in the navy. He also played ice hockey. Uh, I grew up in the valley. In California, uh, Van Nuys, um, which, funny as it may seem, we're we're not we're we're now in Val. Well, I'm not going to say where we live, but we're back close to that again. Um, but I grew up on the other side of the hill, Beverly Hills, West Hollywood. We also lived in Malibu for four years while I was when I was a child in uh, elementary school, uh, Point Dume. Yeah, no, I literally. I, I studied acting. I went to, I uh, uh, studied at the Beverly Hills Playhouse with Milton Casellas. My brother was kind of a big actor while I was, when I was a kid. He'll kill me for saying this, but he's somewhere around 10 years older than me. Steven Anton, he's uh, a, a very accomplished writer and director and producer. And he was a big teen idol when I was in like, a sort of like eighth grade, ninth grade, my brother did a movie called The Last American Virgin. And it was a huge hit, major. I, I, ha- I got an agent kind of like, because I was his, I was Steve Anton's little brother, you know? And I was a little bigger, even though I was younger, I was bigger, I was darker, a little tougher. So they all thought like, it's the it's the younger one who's going to be the big star, you know, his brother's a star, but it's the it's Jonathan that's really and my mom, funny as it may seem most kids mothers like don't want them to be actors. My mom was like, No, you're going to be an actor. And that's that. And I was kind of involved in art a little bit. My dad's an artist. My dad's like, fucking picasso and uh so my dad is amazing and i can draw as well actually my daughter literally two weeks ago showed me a couple of photos uh, a couple of pictures she drew now my daughter can draw it's like amazing it's and it's it has to be hereditary in the blood because i've i've shown her how to draw a face but like never really, like just a little bit, a few of the basics, you know, you draw, you know, kind of like an egg, you cut it in half, there's the eyes, you cut that in half, there's the nose, you cut that in half, there's the mouth, you know, you don't draw it like most people do. Anyway, whatever. So I thought, you know, maybe I was Art was a, a thing, you know, a possibility for me. It was one of the only classes in high school that I would, even, would, would, would really like attend regularly. Everything else I would like go occasionally. Uh, and I dropped out of high school. I took the GED. Um, and one day, right after I got my first car, uh, my grandmother, who... I mean, obviously, my mother and father are still married. Uh, You know, thank God. Uh, My mom's not uh, very well right now. Um, She's having some lung issues. Uh, She doesn't have COVID, but she's going to push through it. She is. My mom's a warrior. She's a warrior. And my dad is... You can actually see on Instagram, my sister, Robin Anton, who created the Pussycat Dolls. She's also a rock star. She just posted uh, an Instagram, I think, or TikTok of my dad, 86 years old, doing 12 pull-ups. Wow. I mean, who could, like, That's... I could do like eight. You know what I mean? Seriously. Pull-ups are the hardest thing in the world to do. My dad's like doing them like they're nothing. You know what I mean? He's, he's under Yeah.
1: There's no way that I could do 12.
2: No. My dad's a physical, like, phenom. He is. And you know what? Like, my son's kind of taking after him. You should see my son do his, I wish he would have done one just now for us. Because he he was just here. Yeah, he does the craziest parkour shit you've ever seen. Played basketball, now he plays water polo. He's a water polo phenom. Well, he was a martial artist and uh, almost got his black belt. He's 14 and he's six feet tall. Right. So he's already taller than me. And when you're thin and tall, it's really hard to do flips and rotate when you're short and stocky and muscly. It's easier because your center of gravity is lower and you can jump higher. But when you're thin and tall and lanky, it's hard to elevate and rotate, you know? Yeah. Like it's harder for him. And the fact that he can do that the way he can, like, He can jump over, like, you know, if you go to, like, the park and you see, like, a park bench, he can literally run up to a park bench and do a big flip or or a park bench table and do a flip over the whole fucking table and benches. It's insane. Frightening to watch. That's,
1: yeah, that's kind of frightening.
2: So anyway, I got my first car. My grandmother one day said to me, she's British. She said, you know, my whole mother's side of my family is British. Um, They all have English accents, British accents. She said to me, Jonathan, you never pick me up. You never take me to lunch. You, You know, you've got your car. You need to take me to lunch. It's not right. I go pick my grandmother up at a beauty school. She's having her hair done. And I'm in the back of the beauty school. I'm waiting for her to have her, you know, be finished. And, you know, they got, they're doing like a wet set with rollers and, you know, like there's all the blue hair old ladies there, you know. Uh, But there's all these cute young girls there and, you know, and I'm waiting for my grandmother and they're doing like this. The freshman instructor was drawing heads of hair on the chalkboard, Mr. Richardson. Uh, was an amazing instructor from Louisiana, genius, older, very sophisticated, wonderful man. You know, uh, just genius. You know, talked like this. He had like a Louisiana kind of slang. You know, and so I'm sitting in the back of the class. He's drawing on the chalkboard, and he's drawing heads of hair that are not the best. Drawings, you know what I mean? They're kind of funky, you know, very stick people like. And I'm sitting with my nanny and I said to her, quietly, and uh, not quietly enough, and I said to her, Nan, who is this fucking guy drawing on the chalkboard? You can't draw. I said, maybe you can cut hair, but like, that's not how you draw a face or a head of hair. And she goes, Jonathan. Stop it! She goes. Do not say anything. I, am here. I get my hair done here three days a week. Do not say anything. Don't embarrass me. Um, I love all these children. I come here. I give them tips. They all love me. And I was like, all right, all right, Nan. I'm sorry. I was just saying. I just if you're gonna draw a head of hair. At least you should, like learn how to do it. You know what I mean? And anyway, the guy ended up 20 minutes later, the class ended. He came over and he said, Mrs. Geller, excuse me if I'm violating your time with your grandson uh, or interrupting anything. He said, but young man, I overheard what you were saying while I was in the middle of my class drawing on the chalkboard my heads of hair. and." Uh, I just want you to know, if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say anything at all in my classroom. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, my God. I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God.
1: Right.
2: Heard me. Uh, And my grandmother was, like, blue, green. You know what I mean? She was, like, ready to barf everywhere, sick over it. She looked at me. I told you, you, you know, and I looked at him. I said, uh, I'm so sorry, man. I apologize. I didn't mean, I just, I, you know, I have a little bit of art background. My dad's an artist and like, I actually can show you how to draw a face if you want or how to draw hair, you know, like you're drawing the hair, like you're drawing lines of hair. You don't really do that. What you draw is like, you draw the shadow of the hair as if the sun's beating down on it. Imagine the sun's wherever you want it. Here, if it's here, then over here it's shadow. So you draw the shadows and then you have hair, but you don't draw like lines like this coming out of the head. It's not how you draw hair. You don't draw one big line as the circle anyway. He he said to me, listen, that may be all well and done, but either way, you don't say things like that while people are in the middle of classes. And I was like, I'm sorry. And he said to me, and since you know so much about uh, drawing hair, and he reached in his pocket and he took out a piece of chalk. He goes, why don't you go and show me what you're talking about? He handed it to me. And I was like, okay, are you sure? You really want me to... Go up there and draw it in front of everybody. And he said, yeah, I, go ahead. Let's see what you got, kid. You know so much. So I went up and I drew three heads of hair. I said, here's a f- frontal. This is a profile. This is a three-corner profile. This one, her chin will be down. So the sun's like on top of her head. And it's really easy. Like, this is how you do it. You know, I did it in like one minute. Like." Wow. Single, Boom, boom, boom. Second head, boom, boom, boom. Third head, boom, boom, boom. And it was like I was drawing them and I was looking at him while I was drawing them just to kind of piss him off a little bit. You know, I was like, this is how you draw a head and hair. And this is how you draw a profile and hair. And this is how you draw this. And, and then I put the chalk down. And I said, and that's how you do it, Mr. Richardson. So... I'll leave them up there so you can look at them, maybe uh, trace them, and you can use them for reference later on, you know? Uh, anyway, so that was that. He said to me, "Well, wow, good job. Yeah, you can draw. Congratulations. So we're on our way out. I'm gonna end the story here. I know I'm take up like the whole hour. No, no, no. I'm gonna end the story here. We're on our way out, and you're gonna love this part the best. We're on our way out the door, and we walk by the head proprietor or the principal's office, right? But he called himself the head proprietor of the school. He's the head of the school. The guy's name was Mr. Mike, okay? He had Marilyn Monroe, blonde hair like this, all done like Marilyn Monroe, big, teased, bleached, like golden, platinum, Marilyn Monroe blonde hair with no roots, right? Like he just had his color done. But like a big set, you know, with back combing and hairspray, like a big do, you know, with a little finger wave in it, like Marilyn. Yeah. And then he had a big black, handlebar mustache with a floral gown on head to toe big floral loose flowy gown and like 25 bracelets on each wrist 10 rings on every finger 30 like you know whatever brass they looked like they were gold they may have been gold necklaces he was like The craziest, and I say this with all love, because I love Mr. Mike. He, it wasn't for Mr. Mike, I would never have become a hairstylist, but Mr. Mike was the craziest, like, especially back then. We're talking about, like, 35 years ago. Yeah. Older. 30, I don't know, ish.
1: It was a different time.
2: Different day and age, you know? Different time. Like, he was like a cross-dressing kind of i you know it's like you didn't know if he was gay or straight you didn't know if he was like like a queen or not or he was like in the middle of everything but he was a genius and he was a wonderful human being and he ran out of his office and here's the crazy thing about him he was from long island staten island he was from staten island and he sounded exactly like Harvey Fire Harvey Firestein. Is it Firestein or Firestone? Firestein. Firestein, yeah. He talked like this. He had a raspy Staten, Long Island, like total New Yorker, almost like New York Jew, you know, ran out of his office. He stayed, Ran out, Mrs. Geller, wait, hold on, don't leave. He said, It's Mr. Mike. He ran outside, he said, Oh my God. Is this your grandson? He said, You are amazing. I watched you draw on the wall on the chalkboard, and you draw like freaking." he said to me, like fucking Michelangelo. You got You've got hands of an angel, and he had like that deep raspy and when he ran out, I was like this Ooh! oh my god, who's this? what is this? like you know like i I didn't I knew, but like I was also seventeen and like a dude, you know
1: right
2: and this guy ran out with this blonde like Marilyn Monroe hair and a big black handlebar mustache and like you know, a, a, a older woman's like big gown and jewelry everywhere. So like I didn't know what to think. You know, I didn't know. I was a kid. He said to me, "Have you ever seen the movie Shampoo?" I said to him, "No, I've never seen the movie." He said, "You need to watch the movie Shampoo because Warren Beatty is amazing and he's gorgeous and you." Remind me of him. You have the same kind of Warren vibe. He's like, you are like you got that tough guy thing. You're an artist. You can draw. I said to him, I'm not really an artist. I can draw a little bit. I'm studying acting. I'm kind of going in that direction. You know, uh, I, I didn't say this, but I had a big manager and agent at the time my mom got me. I had John Travolta and. Uh, uh, uh fuck. I, I always forget his name, Patrick Swayze's manager, mm. uh, Bob Lamont, uh, you know, and they took me on and they thought I was going to be like this huge star. Anyway, whatever. I went on three auditions, three people said that I was genius, but too green, still too young, but keep going. And I would, you know, eventually something would give. And at the, by the third time I was like, Fuck it, I'm out. I can't have my career in the palm of someone else's hands. Forget about these people. And then I ended up on fucking television. You know, go figure.
1: It's kind of a full circle story. It was a full circle
2: story. So anyway, Mr. Mike says, you need to be a hairdresser. Here's my card. You should think about it and you should call me. Don't think hairdressers are only gay. That's what he said to me. He goes, they're not. Because goes, I know a lot of hairdressers that are straight men like yourself that make a lot of money because all the women love you. This is what he said. And by the way, I'm doing like the best impression of ever. Like this is. That's, incredible.
1: it's pretty good.
2: This is exactly what Mr. Mike sounded like and how he acted. He was like, you're beautiful. You got hands of gold. You need to be a hairdresser, trust me. You can be an actor later on. It'll be there. You're never gonna, you're, you're always gonna be beautiful. Don't worry about it. He goes, in, in, the, in, in the interim, me, You know, while you're studying, you can make a boatload of money doing hair because look at all these girls here. They all wanna do your hair. And if you could do hair, you could snap your finger, they'd all let you, anyway. I go home. I have his card. I ask my sister. I ask my mother. I ask my father. Hey, what do you think about me being a hairstylist? My dad was kind of like, "Yeah, you know, if you want, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, d- go do it." You know, my mom was like, "No, you are an actor, and you're going to be an actor." My sister, right away, said, "Jonathan, if you become a hairstylist, I will have every." Dancer and every girl, guy and girl, in LA in your chair, and they will all love you. Trust me. You will make a ton of hairdressers make a lot of money, and you'll make a lot of money, and you're great with your hands. You can sculpt, you can paint, you can draw, you can build stuff. You'll be a great hairdresser. And I was like, okay, all right. So I thought about it for a couple of weeks, and next thing you know, I picked up the phone. I called Mr. Mike. I said, I'm coming in. I said, listen, I'm coming in kind of got kicked out and then they let me back in. And I was the least likely to succeed in beauty school. I was by far the worst hairstylist out of all of my class. But right before the end, something clicked, a light bulb went off and I knew the world of hair because my mom and my brother and my sister, my whole family all went to great hairstylists and I always went to. My mom always took me to great hairstylists. So I was always in cool salons and saw cool people. So I kind of knew cool hairdressers. So, you know, when I graduated beauty school, all of them wanted me to be their assistant. So I ended up assisting all the best hairstylists in LA. And New York. Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, and then somehow, some way, I got it. And I also knew Vidal Sassoon. I used to cut his daughter's hair. Uh, Eden? Katia, and Eden, before Katia passed. Um, I used to cut their hair in their kitchen with Vidal watching me. Wow. That? We're about like, Fucking freaking out like I'd be cutting a bob on Eden or or a long layered haircut on Katya, and he'd be watching me and I'd be shaking like a leaf. And I didn't go to Sassoon, but I knew how he cut hair. I knew the Sassoon technique. And I'd finish and I'd turn around and I'd look at him and I'd say, "So, um, Vidal, did did you like it?" And he would like be having breakfast, having his tea. Kind of like looking over and watching, but he knew what I was doing. And I would finish, and he would look at me, and he would go, he'd "Look at the and He'd go, "Yeah, it's all right. It's not bad. There's a few things uh, you could have done better, but you'll get there." And and he'd walk away. And I would say to Eden and Katya, to Eden and Katya. And by the way, I'm still friends with Eden. We have ki- our kids. Uh, actually our kids didn't go to the same school but they played each other in sports in the private school you know uh, so Eden and I are still friends we actually talked spoke like a month or two ago but i would turn around to them and i would say oh my god that's so horrible why would he say that to me why wouldn't he just say like that was great you did a good job you know good good on you you know keep up the good work you know and they'd say to me listen The fact that he didn't rip your face off was good enough. You know what I mean? Like Vidal Sassoon saying, yeah, it was pretty good. Not bad. You know, that was pretty good. And it was. And then I became friends with him, especially after blowout. We became closer friends and we did some work together. And I did a big show with Eden and Beverly, her mother, um, called Vidal the legend lives on or something, something like that. And I was the MC and uh, I talked, you know, I literally did like an hour on stage in front of like a thousand people in Florida. And I brought Eden and Beverly on the stage and sat with them like as the host and asked them questions about Vidal. But anyway, Long history with Vidal, but that's my, how I became a
1: hairstylist. Long, boring. It was not boring. It wasn't (laughs) boring. Well, wait, well, now you made me think, I mean, was Vidal like notoriously difficult? Like he just was like, you know, he was like a tough critic, right? Or no. Was he what? Was he like notoriously a tough critic just of hair in general?
2: Yeah, Vidal was gnarly. I mean, you, he was a perfectionist, you know, as am I. You know, you miss one fucking hair, you're going to get it. Because there is no reason to miss a hair. You know what I mean? Listen, a lot of people do like texturized and like, you know, bedhead hair and, you know, fucked up hair. I do. I call it perfectly imperfect hair. Unless yeah. you want that perfect you know, haircut, that I do, even uh, that's my favorite. I love perfect lines and perfect haircutting, especially on like short men's haircuts or really, you know, uh, geometrical you know or, or asymmetrical women's haircuts. Um, but uh, today, the beachy wave, you know, the texturized look, Everybody likes that, their ends chopped into and point cut. You know, I prefer to give a perfect haircut, not one hair out of place. And then I go in and I perfectly fuck it up. You know what I mean? Because there's a big difference between fucked up hair and perfectly fucked up hair. Big difference. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, that actually makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's what I teach. I don't teach, like, I teach people don't fuck hair up, cut it perfectly, and then you can put in your texture where you want and perfectly fuck it up. And then it lasts three times as long, which, by the way, isn't the best business model. Uh, You know, my haircuts last like, my men's haircuts last like you know, three, four months. Most guys go in for a haircut every four weeks. My haircuts last basically twice as long, my men's. My women's lasts. I have women that come in once or twice a year, you know, because their haircut doesn't grow out. It stays, it holds its shape, and it just gets longer. It's like building a a house. If you build the foundation perfect, perfectly, the house never has any doesn't have issues but if you build the foundation wrong you're never gonna have anything but issues well that's the same with my haircuts it's all about perfection and then you can go in and fuck it up and texturize it as much as you want but if it's perfect to start it'll stay perfect forever so that's my two cents but yeah Vidal was tough and I don't know if because of him or it's just my way of being, you know, I'm tough, you know, when I teach and, but I, you know, I'm going to start doing a lot of stuff on, uh, on Instagram and YouTube with education now that I'm launching the new Jonathan Anton product line. For me, I start way back. Like most people show like, this is how you cut hair. And this is how you do this. And then you pull it down like this. And you go like that. Like, I don't do that. For me, it's like, this is how you hold a comb, right? Like, you start with this. You hold a comb like this, you know? Not like this, but like this. You know what I mean? And then you got to learn how to flip the comb like this. You know what I mean? You you have to learn, like, a magician with cards, you know? Like, how they can do anything with cards. Brrr, brrr, you know? You have to be a magician with your comb and your scissors. You got to be able to flip them. You got to be able to use them like they're part of your body. So once you learn how to use your tools, the greatest, like an engineer, like a mechanic, like a magician, a beautician, that's a magician. You know what I mean? Once you learn how to use your tools, then like it makes hair so much easier. And the, artist in you can flow but if you don't know how to use your tools and you're fumbling over like you know knotting the hair up and you can't comb it down straight and use your and your your scissors are like this you know you're opening and closing your hand when you're only supposed to go like this you know just your thumb but a lot of people go like this there's so many little technical things that like help you become an incredible hairstyles, you know, but you got to learn those beginning things in order to, in I be- in my belief, in order to become great, you know? Uh, that makes
1: sense. So, maybe, so I was going to say, so then you're a hairstylist. You opened Jonathan West Hollywood. Your yep. first, that's your first salon and you're, you know, successful running that salon and now, Talk to me in 2004 when you're just like, are you minding your own business running your salon and someone comes knocking on your door for blowout? Was it your idea? How did blowout come about?
2: Wait, 2004.
1: How'd you know? Oh, oh. Because I took a minute and did some research. That's why. Right,
2: okay, right. <laughs> How does he know 2004? So, uh, yes, that's basically what happened. I get a phone call one day from a client of mine and a big manager named Rob Lee and he was formerly a big agent at like CAA and a lawyer and he called me one day and said Jonathan there's a guy who's a producer that works with Mark remember we were talking about it uh He worked with Mark, whatever his name is, from uh, the producer of Survivor. Mark
1: Burnett, yeah.
2: And back then, Mark Burnett was, you know, he was big, but it was the beginning of Survivor, you know? And the whole world didn't know who Mark Burnett was like they do now. Right. Um, But he said to me, there's a guy named Ben Silverman who is amazing, and he just did a show called The Restaurant with Rocco Dispirito, and I said to him, I've seen the restaurant, I kinda like it. And he said, yeah, he's doing a, uh, he wants to do another show, and he wants to do it with you. And it's like the restaurant, but it's about hair salons. Um, and it's a reality show, which you probably don't know a lot about, cause there isn't a lot, but I'm telling you, this is the next wave, this is the new TV it's this is the new this is the new world you know what i mean and i said to him okay i'll talk to him you know and i had already done fashion emergency and extreme makeover and tons of the today shows uh like makeover segments i had done a ton of tv and I did the first six episodes of Fashion Emergency when it was on, on the E! Channel. I did the first five episodes of Extreme Makeover before it, they got rid of it and Howard, whatever his name was, the producer, um, turned it into Extreme Home Makeover. Anyway, they, he said to me, Ben's gonna, his name's Ben Silverman, he's gonna come in and he wants to meet with you. So Ben just showed up at the salon one day and I was in the middle of a haircut and my haircuts are pretty long. Uh, They're not 30 minute haircuts. I take an hour, hour and a half, you know, I take a long time. And he had to sit and wait. He was really upset about it. Rob was calling me, Rob Lee, like, Jonathan, you can't make Ben wait. It's not right. He's a big producer. And I was like, dude, listen, I have paying clients. I was charging top dollar back then. Like, I don't even know. I think I was charging $250 back then. And that was a lot, you know? And I said, I'm sorry, he has to wait, you know. And and I have another client after this. So I only have 10 minutes to, to talk to him. And he said, Please talk to Ben. Please talk to him while you're cutting. So anyway, I end up talking to him. He was like a dude. He was cool, like the greatest salesman on earth. And said to me, "I've been watching you in the salon. I now know why people want to come to you. I see your vibe. By the way, I did the first Ali G." episode ever aired on hbo literally uh and he tried to like get me to you know say something ridiculous and talk shit but he couldn't he he was in my episode he was bruno and uh you know the ali g show
1: yeah
2: i'm on the first episode ever aired on hbo and i had we had shot the first season of blowout It was getting ready to air and I did the Ali G show and HBO aired my episode aired. Well, they launched Ali G right before blowout aired, and Bravo freaked out and called HBO and said, you can't air that we're airing our show. And We don't know what you've got on him. We don't know what he did, but you can't air that, you know, HBO. They were like, fuck you, we'll do what we want. And, you know, the business affairs from Bravo, you know, looked at the paperwork that I signed the release. And they said, listen, he never said that this was a TV show, Bruno. He said that he was an MTV VJ from Austria and, you know, he kind of lied to Jonathan and you know, whatever Jonathan said, like and the good news was was that I didn't really talk any shit. Like he kept trying to break me. Yeah. I wouldn't break and my segment was good, but it wasn't like other ones, you know, where people like say horrible things that, you know, uh incriminate themselves. Mine wasn't like that, but it was good. Um And by the way, being on the Ali G show on HBO was a good thing for Blowout, you know? Yeah. Anyway, Ben sold me and brought me in and there was this little skeleton crew. and We shot this little uh, sizzle reel and they showed it to me and I was like, oh my God. Like, I felt like Steve McQueen. I did, you know what I mean? I felt like my idol, you know. You loved it. I was like, Oh my god. Like I didn't think I could look like that. You know what I mean? Like that looks really fucking cool. And we had that great song, It's Your Thing, by the Isley brothers. Right it's a good line. Yeah, it was a great song. And they and Bravo spent the money to buy that song and and Ben told me that it was hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh, and they showed me the sizzle, and I was like, yeah, I love it, man. I I mean, you know, I, I didn't say this, but I was like, I felt like, God, I look like a fucking movie star. You know what I mean? This is really cool. Bravo picked up the show, and uh, we went to work, you know, and, and they basically, it was all real. One little, you know, stipulation, you know, that like I had to have One, I was allowed to hire everybody I wanted, like we showed on the show, you know, Uh, but I had to hire, I didn't have to, but they wanted me to hire one person. And obviously, it was for obvious reasons, they wanted somebody that would clash with me. Because I hired everybody that I knew I could work with, you know what I mean? And I knew that would be great. This guy, Brandon, had some serious attitude, and he was new in hair. You know, he told me he had been doing hair for like five years or something, I don't know. But he literally had graduated beauty school the year before, and they didn't tell me that. And, I mean, listen, Brandon was a cool dude. You know, he had a good look. You know, he thought he was, this guy thought he was Warren Beatty from Shampoo, you know. Uh, with a motorcycle and his blow dryer and his belt, and you know the whole deal, but they wanted somebody like a like a younger version of me, and I was young, i was thirty eight, but they wanted somebody like in their twenties, you know, that was like my protege, and I said to him, "Okay, look, I'll take a look at him, and if he's great, if he's good, I'll hire him. but if he fucks around." and he breaks the rules, I'll give him a couple of chances, but it says in writing that it's my salon and I'm allowed to fire and hire whoever I want. So if he fucks around, he crosses the line, he's out. That's it. So three episodes in, he had crossed the line 50 times. And I finally said to him, dude, I'm done. You're out. Your shit's packed. It's already in bags. It's outside. You're done. Get out. You're not allowed in my salon anymore. And it was gnarly. It was hairy. They like it got a little physical-ish, but they didn't show that part. Um, they showed us getting you know face to face, but it got a little hairier than that.
1: Which but, today they might have shown.
2: They, they might have but back then they couldn't show it Uh, it was pretty gnarly and you know Andy Cohen called me and said Jonathan I heard you fired Brandon and you can't fire him yet you got to give us at least two more episodes and like a little heads up we got to end the storyline you can't just fire somebody like that and I said well actually I can Um, it's my business and He's taking his shirt off, looking at his abs in the salon in the mirror. He's hitting on girls. He's asking clients out to drinks, you know, invite, you know, like crossing every line humanly possible, washing his own hair in the shampoo bowl without a shirt on in the shampoo room. Like, come on. You know what I mean? This isn't a zoo, a carnival. It's a hair salon in Beverly Hills. This guy's acting like an animal. It's not right. And, you know, I'm sure he's cool and I'm sure he's great, but not in my salon. We don't do that here. And I'm sorry. The damage is already done. He's fired. He's gone. So this is a reality show. Be real. You know what I mean? Let's move on. I'll give you all the drama you want. You don't need Brandon. Trust me. And Andy, from that day forward, Andy and I were never good. We were okay, but that really pissed him off, you know. But, look, they picked the show up for season two and season three, and I think it would have kept going, but they kind of wanted it to be – it to sort of change into – more of because I got married and I had children and they wanted to see more of my wife and kids and I was like, I can't do that. You know, like it's it's hard enough to be married and you know, like I'm learning how to be a father and a husband and it's hard enough as it is. And you know, I don't want to be on a reality show and get divorced. You know what I mean? So like I'm not I'll show you I'll give you a little bit like, hey babe how are you? How was your day? Or goodbye, babe. Goodbye, Ash. You know, kiss, hug and kiss. I'm going to work. You know, a little bit of that. Like, maybe I'll talk to my wife and tell her about my day. But like, maybe I'll change a diaper on episode, you know, or or on camera. I wasn't going to go deeper. And they were, they said, listen, we let you do your product line. We let you do this. We let you do that. I said, yeah, but that was all my real life, you know. That was like the evolutionary, you know. I did the open the salon. I I already had a product line that I threw away to make a new product line on blow up, and uh, which I ended up selling that company, like I said. Um, so that old product line that I don't mention the name of. So my new product line is coming out, and I know everybody loves that one pace. That I came out with 20 or 18, 18 years ago, 15 years ago dirt, but it's not the same anymore, so I hear my new version of that pace is fucking rocket science, like David, really? you you're never going to use another product in your I was going
1: to say, you're going to have to send me some
2: oh my god I have
1: Like, put me on the list please I Wait, my sam- hair's a mess today.
2: I wish I could show you all my sample bottles. I have 300 samples here. That wow. I've been working on the line for over a year. Literally, the formulas. It's beyond. And the new paste, like we've gone through 30 iterations of it. Um, but that's because it's got to be that good. It's got to be the best.
1: Anyway. How- how come you threw away the first or stopped the first product line to come up with a second one for the show? Was it for like a storyline? Was it because of Bravo nope. saying?
2: No, nope. excuse me. I had to move my leg. I was dying. I, why did I sell Jonathan? Pro, or
1: Well, like my- the first one, when you said you stopped it.
2: Right. Um, I sold the company because I don't know if I'm still legally bound, uh, But, you know, I can't slander or disparage that company. But due to irreconcilable differences, uh, we both went on our own ways. There was a big article in WWD. Rachel Brown, uh, a big writer for WWD, wrote the article about me selling my shares and leaving uh, the company and moving on. Uh, I was supposed to launch a product line right after that, but I, I had to wait like, yeah, I had to wait like 12 months after the sale to launch my online. line. Um, you know, I, I sold it just because we went in different directions. You know, they, they wanted to make stuff that I didn't want to make. And uh, you know, they, they weren't doing like, PR the way they could have and should have you know we should have done an infomercial we, we had such a because and the reason why was because we had blowout you know this multi multi million dollar platform to market the product line and I kept telling the company like guys if we do an infomercial or we buy ads and magazines or we buy a billboard or we do commercials or whatever, like John Frieda was buying commercials on blowout advertising time during blowout. I was like, if he's doing it, why aren't we, you know what I mean? Our own time, you know, and I was a spokesperson for American express for the uh, American express open business Card. I was the first American Express open business card spokesperson ever. And I did three national American Express commercials, which was kind of like my acting debut, you know? And it was, you know, I did an amazing endorsement deal with American Express. I was a spokesperson for a year. That's pretty awesome. You know, now... I mean like everybody, serena Williams, you know like you know uh, tom uh, or whatever is you know football player uh, you know everybody's a spokesperson now, um, but back then they nobody was was they didn't have spokespeople like this, so the fact that Ben Silverman got American Express to come into blowout and be an advertiser and a sponsor was huge, you know, yeah. And, Lens Crafters, American Express. I was the spokesperson for all of them. That's why I wore like funky Lens Crafter glasses during the whole show. Um, uh, And we, you kept seeing like the American Express swiping during the whole show. Um, Was you know, and it it was
1: product placement.
2: Yeah, and I had great commercials. You know, and it was real. I bought all the materials for the. Building of the, the construction of the Beverly Hills Salon on my new gold American Express open, and you know, it was perfect product placement, like you said. So, was
1: Andy Cohn uh, the executive producer on Blowout? Andy
2: Cohn was one of the executive producers of Blowout. Uh, ben Silverman was the executive producer uh, with Arnold Shapiro, uh, who was like a eight time Emmy award-winning executive producer uh, Shapiro Shapiro Grodner, I think was was his company. They had a ton of shows. And so it was Ben Silverman, Shapiro Grodner, a few other executive producers and Andy Cohen was a vice president at Bravo because blowout came in under, you know, his sort of umbrella. uh, He, was an executive producer on Blowout. He didn't really have much to do with the show other than we pitched it to him and he got it picked up, you know, through his higher-ups, Francis Berwick and Lauren Elasnick, the other sort of presidents of Blowout. But Andy had a lot to do with Blowout. Don't get me wrong. But it was Ben Silverman's idea. And then, of course, I made it great so
1: (laughs) obviously i mean other than andy like saying to you you know why are we firing brandon so early like did you feel there was like producer influence Let let me take one quick go ahead you're entitled i was gonna say no well other than andy like you know saying oh don't you know why are we letting brandon go so early there's the drama keep him for two more episodes like did you feel any other producer like influence of like hype up the drama or like maybe do it this way where you were pushing back and saying like no this is a reality show it needs to be real
2: <laughs> which kind of gives you your answer
1: kind uh, of yeah i
2: mean listen yeah of course you know like we had we had three different showrunners for three different seasons we actually had four cuz one left in the middle of a season we had different producers for every season and you know that you know the ones that were like with me on set all day long you know ben was hardly ever there Andy was never there you know my showrunners that were with me all day and by the way i was an executive producer on the second and third season so it was really like you know just my agent getting me my agent at caa at the time uh, getting me the credit, so I didn't really get anything out of it, but he got me an an e p credit um, which is
1: good to have
2: yeah it was good to have uh I mean it would have been good to have if I would have immediately launched a production company and started making reality shows, but now it's kind of you know been there, done that. It's been a little long for me to you know jump back in. I suppose I could start making reality shows. If I wanted to, whatever. Uh, There was a little bit of, you know, from the showrunners, like, okay, Jonathan, listen, so, because the reason why I would get a little pressure of, like, this is why I would be, it's not like they would say to me, like, you know, can you beef this up? Can you do this? Can you do that? Because, like, if you remember, if you recall, like, I cried a lot on Blowout. People would, like, you know, back it was like during like you know my space or you know the beginning of social media like people would write a lot about me crying right on like youtube and MySpace and and you know that i was a crybaby and but to tell you the truth like my tears were all real when i launched my product line it was like you know oh my god this is amazing i'm on qvc we're in sephora we're in we're going into Ulta. Like it's a big success, like overnight. Like I have a billboard at the corner of Laurel Canyon and Crescent Heights and Sunset, like the biggest billboard in all of LA. And I was on one side and Denzel Washington, Man on Fire was on the other side. And I was on the better side. And I was like, I was embarrassed by it, to tell you the truth. I was like, First of all, I shouldn't be on the same billboard as Denzel Washington. He's a legend and like one of my favorite actors. He should be on the west side, I should be on the east side or I should be on, in another, on another billboard. And I was like in the subways in New York, like 30 posters in a row of blowout. And I mean, it was crazy, you know? Um, well, it was a great he, show it was a It was a really good show, it was kind of pioneering. you know what I mean It kind of pioneered some people say the reality or docu soap industry you know so like when the producers would like you know sort of lean into me about a scene, it was more about because I was so on top of every single thing that was going on and I will say it a little controlling with my staff. Like I would say like, don't do this on camera. Don't do that on camera. Like you need to pre-edit yourself, you know, like, because if you do anything stupid, they're going to use it on camera and you will tarnish the brand. You know what I mean? Like you can be yourself, but just don't do anything too stupid. You know what I mean? Like, like the Brandon thing, don't take your shirt off or ask a girl out to drinks while you're cutting her hair for the first time. That makes women afraid to come into our salon. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not right, you know? Because I was so on top of every single thing they were filming, when the cameras weren't on me, I would get to the hairstylist before them and sort of preempt them, you know what I mean? Like, hey, they're gonna film you, Make sure you're careful, you know what I mean? Because I'm gonna see it in the editing bay, and if I see you doing anything too funky or talking shit about somebody or tarnishing the brand, you're out, done, bye-bye. But you can be yourself, you know? Just be cool, you know? Uh, and you can be a little dramatic, but like, just don't cross the, the line that hurts All of us, you know, they would say to me, like, Jonathan, can you please like, because they knew that I would like get to everybody before them. Can you please not like scare your hairstylist into like zipping their mouths shut, you know, or, you know, when I launched the product line, it was like, it was the beginning of the second season and they were on their way to the salon one day to start filming like the second episode. And I said to him, Oh guys, by the way, pack your bags. We're going to Annapolis, Maryland to my chemist. Uh, I'm launching a new product line. Great reality. And you're going to meet my vice presidents, uh, vice president of sales and marketing. And you're going to meet my uh, president and my partner. And you're going to see the manufacturer and the lab and, Me mixing with a beaker and you know a chemist, and and there will be heavy drama. I promise you, heavy drama. Even with those two women that I had on the show, show Tina and Beth Ann, they were major in the beauty industry from like Guerlain and L'Oreal, and you know we launched a major brand like overnight with millions of dollars invested. And listen, my vice presidents hated when I would yell at them on camera, but I would say to them, guys, it's okay. It's going to work out. This is good drama. Like the scene where I got my jar of paste, dirt, which I hate saying uh, publicly, but where I got my jar of paste and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is shit. I can't use this. This isn't what I made when I was there. You're set fuck this. And I threw it against the wall and it exploded. You know, that was 99.999% real. You know, it was real because that really happened. But chronologically I kind of like backdated it a little bit, you know, and I had already seen the bad one and the good one but they didn't get it on film, so I had to kind of reenact it, you know what I mean? So it was real, I went through all that, I threw the jar just at a different wall in a different place and then I saw the real and then they reformulated it and got it right and then we had to reshoot the whole thing because I told them the story and they were like, oh my God, we missed that. And I was like, no worries, I can do it again. I know, listen, I, no one will know. I can do it exactly the same as when it happened. And when I made my water filter, and I I don't know if you know that I had a water filter, and purified water, it was called whatever, the name of it. I'm coming out with a new one, it's even better. But when I made my water filter, I called my VP and I said, I have a great idea. I want to make a water filter. And it was because the water in my house had been shut off for some reason, and I thought it was the producers fucking with me. I thought they had shut off my water on purpose to make me late to my to the salon, and I even said to them, guys, did you fuck with me? Did you turn my water off? Because my water doesn't get shut off, and I pay my bills, and they were like, no, uh, we didn't. Uh, we don't know what's wrong, and I was like, Okay, so I went outside, I checked the water main, I checked everything, couldn't figure it out. I went in the kitchen, and I grabbed 20 bottles of two liter, whatever, big bottles of Avion water, and I took a shower with Avion water. And I felt amazing, you know, after showering with Avion water. And then I said to the producer... And to my partner, you know, when I do photo shoots like out in the desert, I bring Avion or Fiji back then, Avion or whatever, sometimes sparklets, whatever. I bring bottled water with me and I wash the model's hair out with bottled water. And it always feels better than using tap water. So I have a great idea. I want to make a water pur- purification system. And my partner on speaker, said to me, Jonathan, you're a hairstylist. That's a plumbing apparatus. You can't make a water filter. We'll never be able to sell it. It's a different category. QVC will never sell it. It's... And I said to her, Tina, how about this? You either find me the best water filtration company uh, there is so I can start working with them because I'm going to make a water filter or... I'll do it on my own. And then you'll have to deal with my partner, who's like a gazillionaire for saying no. And that's it. So find them or go fuck yourself. Okay, bye. Click and I hung up. And next thing you know, she calls me and says, I found the best water filtration manufacturer and we're gonna go meet with them. And the next thing you know, I had the greatest water filter in the world. And it sold out on QVC every 12 different appearances. It sold out at Blowout. It sold out everywhere. It was a huge hit. It was like my number two and three selling product skew uh, product in the whole line. And for those reasons I'm making a newer, better one. Uh, so anyway. And it does. It makes your water like you can you can literally fill your coffee pot up with my old and new, even more so new, shower filter, because it's just for your shower, uh, and it's cleaner than using Avion water. literally. Oh, wow. Because it doesn't harden or soften the water, it just cleanses and, and purifies the water. It takes out all the metallics and the chlorine and all the shit, which oh. by the way, is the same water that I use in my products, Today, purified, deionized, really incredible water. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Well, I was gonna say, like, what was Bravo like back then? You know, I mean, this was like you, Queer Eye, Jackie Warner. You know, a little bit after you, Rachel Zoe, Patty Stanger. Like, these are the, you know, I mean, and do you like? Are you aware? Like, do you watch Bravo now? I mean, like, are you shocked at what this network has come? Like, what were the old good old days like?
2: It's unbelievable what it's become. It's, uh, I don't watch a ton of it. My wife kind of watches a little bit of the Housewives. I do a few of the Housewives. I do Lisa Arena. I do Harry Hamlin. I do a couple of other ones. I had Lisa on Blowout. And then I did a couple pilots after Blowout. I had a huge pilot that was supposed to air, uh, like, Kitchen Nightmares with the same producer as Gordon Ramsay, uh, Arthur Smith made a spin-off, like a, a sister, if you will, of kitchen nightmares called salon nightmares that we shot a whole episode. It was supposed to air and it was incredible. Um, it was me going into other salons that were like disastrous and ripping them to shreds, retraining the whole staff and building them back up and re grant grand reopenings and, you know, kind of like Tabitha's Takeover. and That's what uh, it
1: sounds like.
2: It was kind of like Tabitha's Takeover, but Andy got wind of it, and because it was with Fox, and Andy didn't really have anything to do with it, but they were supposed to kind of like partner up on it on the launch, uh, Andy freaked out and announced Tabitha's Salon Takeover at the upfronts. The day before we were announcing, you know, The Upfronts in New York. Yeah. We were there. Me, Arthur Smith, the producer, Gordon Ramsay. We were announcing Hell's Kitchen and Kitchen Nightmares and Salon Nightmares. And uh, the day before, Andy announced that the runner-up of Sheer Genius that I was the judge on. <laughs> uh, Tabitha Coffee was coming out with a new show uh, similar to Kitchen Nightmares. And, uh, you know, I said to Mike Darnell from Fox and Arthur Smith, who cares that he announced it? They haven't shot anything yet. He only, he just announced it to be spiteful and, and be first, you know? We, already have shot a whole episode. Like, we're ready to go. And by the way, they're Bravo, we're network. They're cable, we're network, we're Fox. They can't compete with us. I'm gonna be on right after Hell's Kitchen on Fox.
1: Like. It's a a no-brainer.
2: no-brainer, and our show's so much better than anything they could shoot. We had never seen. They hadn't shot anything yet. They didn't show any teasers or, 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 uh, whatever you call it, you know, uh,
1: like a sizzle rail even. No
2: sizzles, no teasers, nothing. Uh, so we had three sizzles, 30, 60, and 90 sex- seconds. We had a 44 minute episode, one hour, you know, done. Three salons that I made over and uh, with crazy shit happening in it. Like I found a guy drinking uh, Jack Daniels in the back of the salon in the middle of a haircut, sweating and shaking, an alcoholic lunatic, and ran back into the room because they told me in my ear mic, my microphone, quick, Jonathan, run into the back kitchen. So-and-so is drinking alcohol, like liquor. And I ran into the back and caught him. He was like, woke, 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 woke. And I ran back and was like, what the fuck are you doing? Do you know it's illegal to drink liquor in your salon during the, like, business hours? And you're going to go out with blades, shears, and start cutting somebody's hair? God forbid you cut your own finger off, you're going to cut their ear off. And the guy was like, fuck you, man. Dude, you fucking mind your own business. I'm not part of your fucking stupid show. Get the fuck out of my kitchen. And I was like, dude, how about this? Fuck you. Give me the fucking bottle. And you get yourself, drink a cup of coffee, clean your, wipe your sweat off. And he kind of like grabbed me. And we grabbed each other. And it got physical. And, you know, it got gnarly and Arthur was yelling in my ear, Jonathan, let him go, put him down. Cause I kind of like put him up against the wall, but he grabbed me first, like by the neck. He tried to choke me when I grabbed his bottle and I was like, dude, if I put him down, cause I had a mic here and a mic here, you know, or I had an earphone, IFB, right? A little, yeah, ear, ear mic. And from the trailer, Arthur was talking to me. And we had cameras all over the salon, so that's how he knew the guy was drinking in the back. And by the way, there was a hundred other incredible... In another salon, the the, the manager, the assistant manager like tried to attack me because I was grinding the manager, and that got physical too. But we ended up making up. But anyway yelling at me like, you can't touch anybody. You gotta let him go. You can't grab anybody. And I was like, dude, they're grabbing me first. What do you want me to do? I'm defending myself. If I let him go, he's gonna punch me in the face. I'm just restraining him and he's drunk. Any normal human being would do the same thing. If a guy comes at you like this, frothing at the mouth, I want my bottle, Ah!" you know? I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm just, it's my normal instinct to like protect myself and, and, or, you know, so whatever. They, you know, they, 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 they showed part of it, but not the horrifying part. Uh, But it was an amazing show, and all three salons became amazing. Even that guy stopped drinking, cleaned up his app, got sober, and, uh, like turned his life around, and when I reopened all the salons, the grand reopening, there was like a hundred people at each grand reopening, and I, you know, outfitted each salon with all my products, and they they all to to this day. Well, now they're probably you know closed, but like up until a year or two ago, they're all, they've all been successful salons because I rebuilt them for free, literally tore them out, gutted them, and rebuilt their salons, like $100,000 worth of work on each salon for free, you know? Um, And I designed them with my own crew, my own construction crew. But anyway, that show was supposed to air. Mike Darnell and Fox, uh, Mike Darnell was the head of Alternative Entertainment. He said to me, I'm sorry, Jonathan, we don't do anything second. And Andy's already... Announced the show. So it's over, it's done. And I literally started crying and I was like, who cares about Andy? And, you know, I know he's big and he's a big deal. And Tabitha is, you know, known from sheer sure genius, but like, I don't know. I would think like I have a little more weight than her. And, uh, you know, I would, our show looks amazing. It looked as good as Hell's Kitchen, and, you know, and uh, it looked better than Blowout. It was literally the best TV I'd ever done. It was so good. It was shot so well. Um, and the show went away, you know? It was, and it was um,
1: literally because of one day? Like, if it was one day earlier?
2: It was because of 20 seconds of him getting on the podium, on stage, at uh, the Chelsea Piers and saying here's our lineup for the new season and by the way I know all of you love Tabitha Coffee and we're launching uh, a new show with Tabitha Coffee called Tabitha Salon Takeover and it's kind of like Kitchen Nightmares and you're all going to love it but I don't have a sizzle reel to show you because I really want to keep it private until it's ready and that was it and you know Bravo, Andy. And it wasn't so much Andy. It wasn't really Andy's fault. it was more Fox. Fox was like, "Sorry, we just don't do things second, which I understood. I understood their whole like we're network, their're cable. We don't follow what cable networks do, you know, and they've already announced it. It's already gonna be headlines, you know, so they're gonna say that we copied them, somebody is. And I was like, no, they won't because we'll show our sizzle before theirs. And they just said, no, you know, like I have the whole episode. I could send you the whole episode. You'd be like, oh my God, to this day, it's timeless. You know what I mean? To this day, it would still be an amazing show, you know?
1: Wow. And you, I mean, it would be, I mean, I know you say it's more Fox than Andy, but one couldn't blame you if you had some animosity towards Andy. Like,
2: I did. Yeah. I mean, I was very upset, you know, that he did what he did. I understood because I didn't tell him that I was working with Arthur Smith, but I didn't, I wasn't under contract to tell him blowout was over. And I, I still had, Blowout still had an option on me for like another six months. But it, it, in that option, I think uh, I was allowed to take other projects and work on other projects that weren't scheduled to go to air as long as Bravo hadn't made me any other offers.
1: And they hadn't made me any other offers. So I mean, well, so you were somewhat. You had feelings towards Andy, but I mean, also one could say I was like,
2: livid. What do you mean? I, of course, I was livid. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? After it all happened, I was like, you knew we had a show. You knew what what we were doing, and you announced that you know maliciously with intent to crush our show. You knew what you were doing, and he was like. I don't know what you're talking about, Jonathan. I didn't know you had a show. I didn't know you had this. I didn't know you had that. And I was like, Andy, you knew everything. Because we were all at the upfronts and had seen each other, he found everything out. Because he didn't know until then. He was like, what's he doing here with Arthur Smith and Gordon Ramsay? Must be something going on. So he did his due diligence and investigating and he found out. And uh, he came up with a plan in like, 12 hours you know literally um he didn't have a show with tabitha he you know i mean i don't know maybe he did but like i i don't think he did my my best guess would tell me like he heard and found out what we were doing and was like "Uh uh-uh i'm gonna create this other show i'm the vice president he could air anything he wanted and green light anything he wanted so He figured, you know, the whole world watched Tabitha and uh, whether they liked her or not, she got a lot of, you know, eyeballs. Was
1: Andy um, executive producer on Sheer Genius too when you were a judge?
2: Of course, Andy was executive producer on every single show on Bravo back then. Andy was, Andy owns owns not executive producer but owns and executive produce produce every single housewives show on Bravo. I don't know if you know that but that, that I know. Yeah those are all his like he created them. They're all his he owns them all.
1: Thank you for tuning in to part one of our sit down with the iconic Jonathan Anton from the iconic Bravo show blowout and stay tuned part two coming soon, where we talk more about Andy Cohn, Tabitha Coffey, Jonathan as a celebrity hairstylist and all of his celebrity clients, including the queen of the world, Miss Madonna coming soon.